Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pazzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to have discussions with people regarding all things leadership, and those discussions are with people who not only bring value to me in my organization, but these are people who I am certain will bring great value to you and your organization. Today's guest is no exception. I am going to have a leadership discussion with Bob Louthen. Bob is a CEO. He is a Virginia Military Institute graduate, an Army veteran, and an executive with over 27 years of experience in mergers, acquisitions, and private capital formation. If you're anything like me, that type of language is scary. He founded the Veteran Crowd Network to bring veterans and vet-led businesses together with each other and the resources they need to prosper And regarding Vet Crowd, I've been interacting with Bob for probably six or seven years now. We've had various interactions over the years. They've all been very valuable to me. And Bob has supported efforts that I'm involved with as well. So this is a long time coming, folks. Bob Louthen, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Bob, thanks thanks for having me on the program. I have the utmost respect for you and what you're doing and and uh, just uh, really pleased that you've invited me on your program. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm going to start with something that crosses my mind almost every single day. You know, I'm in a leadership position. I own a company. I have 35 employees. I'm writing a book. I have the Elevate Your Leadership event here at iFly. I have the Elevate Your Leadership webinar. I have uh, what we're doing here, the podcast. And one thing that rings true for me every single day is moral and ethical character in myself and in those that I surround myself with, and you know, in particular, those that I hire. And I just remember this discussion you and I had five or six or seven years ago in my conference room, and you were talking about why you like to work with veterans. And you said you have discovered over the years that veterans are of higher moral and ethical character. Now that I've stolen your words, can, do, can you just uh, tell us about that a little bit? 
Well, um, th- thank you. I've kind of having a, had an epiphany, and I really point a lot of this to 2008. I was running a small boutique investment banking firm, and we had the Great Recession. And in that year, I had two transactions going on of similar size and scope, and and uh, one of them was led by uh, a guy that had been uh, a sergeant in the army, and the other group was uh, didn't have any veterans in the um, in the management team, and uh, we closed both deals successfully, and we came time to be paid. This army sergeant kind of said, well, Bob, how much do we owe you? He didn't go back and look at the contract. I said, well, here's what it is. And he took care of it. The other folks, on the other hand, tried to give us what we refer to in the investment banking industry as a feeectomy. You know, all of a sudden, all this work that we had done for them wasn't quite worth what, you know, they owed us. You know, that point, Bob, I kind of realized, you know, there's people you want to work with and there's people that's not. And that's really, I point to that episode in my career as the turning point where I said, you know what, I'm going to go work with veterans because, you know, we got a lot of things in the military. We got a lot of disciplines. We uh, had had a lot of things. I just think we got personal accountability and a heightened sense of ethics baked into our DNA when we were in the service. And I think that makes all the difference. Yeah, that has certainly been my experience as well. You know, not to say that every veteran is an angel and, and every every non-vet. There's some scoundrels out there. That's uh, right. That's right. We've, we've encountered them all. I know I have. But for the most part, we certainly give each other, you know, veterans give veterans the benefit of the doubt. And usually it pays off uh, usually there's a comfort factor there. And so I, I get that 100%. And supporting veteran endeavors, you know, I, I didn't start my, my professional uh, private sector career until I was 47 years old, right? Having served for 26 years. So, so in some sense, I'm 26 years behind my counterparts in the private sector, uh, you know, launching my, my enterprise, if you will. So, you know, having spending so much time around people in uniform, uh, regardless of the service, there's a comfort factor factor there for sure. Okay, very interesting little tidbit. Um, let's let's just talk about leadership generically speaking. You've been uh, you know a VMI graduate. You served in the army and you've been in investment banking. You've been in leadership roles pretty much all of your adult life. And as you reflect on that, you know what is your kind of foundation? How does how does Bob Lothan approach leadership on a daily basis? You asked me this question before you invited me on the program. I had some time to think about it. And and I think the way you couched the question before was, what's your leadership style, right? Sure. And in thinking about this, I think there really are two things. I think there's style, and then I think there are principles, right? And, And I think it was Thomas Jefferson, you know, sort of said, you know, in matters of, you know, in certain matters, be like a river in matters of style, you sort of go with the flow, but it matters a principle, you stand like a rock. And, you know, and as I thought further about this, you know, I wasn't a very good leader when I was 22 years old. None of us were. None <laughs> of us we were, we you were. know, and I think that my style has evolved significantly over the now 40 uh, years since since that time, you got to learn how to follow before you can learn how to lead. I think we get that in the military. I mean, that's uh, the very first thing you do when you're going to boot camp and, you know, they break you down and you got to learn how to do that. But I think that it's, it's about experience. I think there's a lot of thoughtfulness uh, that needs to go into things. I, I try to be self-aware. Uh, it's important to be that. 
to be responsive and not reactive, but to be decisive. You know, there's no decision where you have a hundred percent surety uh, that you're making the right decision. One other thing, Bob, and I don't know how to define this, but I know in your leadership program, you address this. I think going with your gut, there's more science to that than, than, uh, than folklore. So uh, lots of things to talk about. Sure, there are. And, and we'll just start there. We'll start with going with your gut. And it is something I discuss, and it's something that I've researched. You know, there's, there's brain activity, there's thought versus feeling. You know, thoughts are largely of the mind, which is not a, a, a tangible thing you can, you can hold in your hand. Thoughts are of the mind, and they follow this linear logical sequence where feelings are more of the body. It could be sense-related. It could be temperature-related. Um, but those feelings, that gut feeling, if you will, is something you should definitely listen to. And, and it does take time for leaders to have confidence in that and, and to recognize the value and, and to say, you know, last time it just didn't feel right. I went with it anyway, and things didn't turn out well you know, or maybe that happened five times or six times or seven times. So you do develop this ability to, to listen to your gut, if you will, to monitor those feelings. And, and the summary there is when, when thoughts and feelings are in alignment, things generally go well. You know, you think good about it, you feel good about it, and, and you pursue it with a, with a high degree of confidence. When thought and feeling are not in alignment, that's when often there's a, you know, there's controversy or, or internally, something's just not right about getting this thing done. But I also like uh, flowing like a river and being solid as a rock. There is a time to let things flow, see how it unfolds for sure. And there's a time to stand your ground and say, we are not going beyond this point or, or we will not do that under any circumstance for sure. And Good leaders recognize those moments. They know when they need to be, uh, whichever one that is. I, I haven't heard it put that way before. And although you did reference Jefferson, I, I just think that if our listeners capture that, just capture what Bob just told us, which is there's a time to flow like a river and a time to be solid like a rock. And you'll know those times and you'll put it together. Following, we have to learn how to be good followers and self-awareness. But Bob, you really started with you weren't that great of a leader at 22, but you've evolved. And that's, that's the key to leadership is to evolve throughout your entire career, your entire professional life. I have had and continue to have evolutions, and I'm sure you have too. And I just wonder if any come to mind, if there's any evolution, any aha moments you've had in the last 40 years that, um, that resonate. You know, I'm, I'm remind, reminded of a professor in graduate school that said, Bob, it takes 20 years to get 20 years of experience. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, they're just, they're just certain things that you can't short cycle, right? I've, I've made a, a lot of mistakes. And I think, candidly, you learn more from the mistakes than you learn from the things that go well. Yes. Um, I remember early on, meeting a guy in Northern Virginia who, uh, you know, was kind of in the venture capital industry. His name was Henry Barrett. And uh, I haven't kept up with Henry in a long time. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen him in forever. Hope he's doing well. But, you know, I, I went to him early seeking kind of mentorship. I said, Henry, you know, people tell me that, you know, you're one of the 
most experienced people in the venture capital business. And the first thing he told me was, well, Bob, I've probably lost more money doing this than anybody you'll ever meet. So if that makes me the most experienced person, I guess I'm your guy, right? So, so you learn a lot from failure, right? You learn a lot from experimenting. You learn a lot from trying things that don't work. Clearly, there are some things that at the age of 61 that I would do over uh, had had I had the chance to do over, I would do very differently. I had the privilege when I was 27 or 28 being thrust into a turnaround situation in a business. I did some things right, but I tell you what, Bob, if I had to do it over again, it'd be a lot of things I would do in, in just very differently with a lot of confidence today. So I, you know, I, I think that leadership is a process of trying and failing and learning and growing. Yeah, there's no question about that. And it's a continual process. You, you fail, you learn, you grow, you come back re-energized, hopefully ready to, to take another bite or tackle that thing. You know, my friend, Ryan Crowley, a retired U.S. Navy SEAL captain, when he talked about leadership, he said he's got three things. One is one is uh, direction or vector. You know, you want to keep your team, keep everybody moving in the right direction. He calls that alignment. When alignment starts to skew so far, then he's got to step in and do something. He talks about knowing your craft as a, as a second uh, principle of leadership. But then he talks about failure. There's going to be failure. You have to know that when it happens, you have to accept it and you have to move on. You have to get beyond it. And I just look back at my career early, especially when it came to failure, you're, you're just so taken aback by how could I have gotten that wrong? I did the research. I, I, I sought out, you know, the right guidance from the right people and, and it felt good thought and feeling were in alignment and it didn't work. So, um, so we, that's going to happen in our careers. We have to know that we have to acknowledge it. We have to accept it and, and move forward regarding investment banking, you know, that's a lot different than my military career, which is special operations, you know, explosive ordnance disposal, bomb tech, cut the red wire, cut the blue wire, jump out of airplanes, dive the oceans of the world. We can visualize the risks associated with that. What are some of the risks in investment banking other than the loss of a lot of money? You know, what, what goes through an investment banker's mind when you're assessing risk? All right. Well, this is going to be a lot longer podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so what does an investment banker do? We basically help companies raise capital or we help them buy or sell. Kind of like a, a real estate broker for businesses uh, is, a, is, is an analogy that might bring okay, a little that's closer a good one. to home. Yeah. There's a, there, you know, from the perspective of the investment banker, we have expertise and we have time and we've got to invest those things in a transaction. And, uh, and, you know, we get paid for success. We typically, you know, uh, in, in an investment banking transaction, we might get a small retainer fee upfront, but 95% of our compensation is dependent upon the successful outcome. It's a, it's a pure sales commission. Okay. And so, As a potential investor, I like that. <laughs> right. And so we, we have to be successful. And the reality is, is that a lot of investment banking transactions, I think if people were honest in an assessment, you know, we've got a, a pretty good major league batting average as an industry. Two out of three deals, we strike out. They don't really uh, come wow. home. And that's a uh, good batting average. 
Yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of like you know look if you have a you're batting over three hundred in the major leagues that's you're right. you're a, that's true you know, you're a stud right you're gonna be right. in the Hall of Fame <laughs> it's really tough I mean uh, you know investment banking transactions fail for a lot of reasons okay so you ask me how we assess risk uh, we we go in and use our experience to look at deals and we try to coach our clients to be successful. You know, it's it's an enormous task. You go to try to sell a business. It, there's a lot of things that can go sideways. You go to raise capital for a business. There are investors for every business. I think sure. the the issue comes down to does it make sense? You know, is it too expensive? Do you right? assess the client? Do you you know ha, have you down selected down selected clients and, and said you know I'm sorry, we just can't work with you. Uh, you know, beyond the numbers. All, all the time. I mean, I, you know, we, we try to assess the, the, the success we want to. No investment banker ever took on a transaction that he thought he couldn't succeed sure. in completing. Okay. Everybody thinks they can get it done, but the reality is, is that they don't all get done. And, you know, it's a, it, you, you gotta, you gotta be realistic about the whole thing, but yes, we do an assessment. We look at things like, you know, like the investor would look at it, right? So they're going to examine the strength of the market. They're going to look at the skill sets of the management team. They're going to assess the competition. They're going to do all of those things that a prudent investor would do, you know, before we take on the transaction. My big criteria I used to have five things before I went exclusively with veterans, you know, but these were things like, well, does the company have the money to hire us? Right. Um, and they, you know, this is, uh, do they have, are, are they resilient? We talked a little bit about that before. Will they stick it out and finish? Cause this stuff is tough. Are they realistic? Right. If the customer is asking for evaluation for their company that's obviously three times the market and we can't convince them of that, right? Then they're not realistic. Are they coachable? Huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you don't need to hire me if you're not going to draw upon my expertise. And it can be a very frustrating thing. You know, are they coachable, realistic? Do they have the money? You know, the, and then we added, I mean, you can sort of see with these things why, I like to work with veterans. You couldn't have been, you know, successful in the military if you hadn't been a team player, hadn't been coachable, hadn't been able to work together with other folks. It's kind of like, you know, are they not, it's because of the, are they, are they nice people rule? And you and I are at the age where that's only the only kind of people we work with. Right. Yeah. So, right. You know, all of those things kind of fall into place, but you're absolutely right. We do a, we do scrutinize every transaction very carefully. And there's just some people where I go to them and say, Bob, you know, I'm not a fit for you. You'd be better served working with this group I know over here because they know a lot more about the indoor skydiving business than I do, you know, as an example. Uh -huh. And I think I owe it to my clients to give them an honest assessment there too. If there's somebody else that can do a better job, than me and better serve the client, then I'm going to, I'm going to steer them in that direction and be as honest and, as I can be about it. Uh, we'll talk, I, I want to follow up on coachable here in a second, but you talk about, you know, we only work with people that, that are going to be pleasant and, and perhaps coachable, but, you know, positive experience for us where I am in my consulting career is I have three criteria. Jeffrey Hazlett, uh, C-Suite Network helped me identify uh, these criteria, or maybe probably I just stole them from him directly. 
But number one is I have to enjoy the process. I have to enjoy the interaction. I have to enjoy the client engagement. It's got to be fun. It's got to be fun for me. Number two, I have to be paid properly. It's got to be worth my time to get in there and give you everything I've got, because that's why I approach uh, any client engagement is you get everything I got. You have me working on your business or your leadership development or whatever you hired me to do. I'm working on that 24 seven. I'm working on that when I'm, when we're not, you know, engaging directly. Uh, so number one, gotta be fun. Number two, it has to be worth my time, right? So I have to be properly compensated. And number three, I have to feel like I'm making a contribution. I have to feel like I'm making a change to your organization. You, you kind of alluded to that too, saying, you know, maybe this other person would be a better fit. I, I've got to enjoy it. I got to be paid well. But really, most importantly, I have to really think and feel like I'm making a change and I'm having a significant positive impact on your organization. You know, I, I was asked recently by uh, one potential client, what, why should we hire you over so-and-so down the street? And my response was, well, I don't know so-and-so down the street, so I don't know what they offer or what they do. I said, but with me, this is what you get. You get somebody who's on your, t- on your team. I don't work for you. I am on your team. You get another teammate. You get somebody who's going to uh, want to find satisfaction and resolve just as much, if not more than you do. That's what you get from me. And so again, I don't know what, what the guy down the street's doing, but that's what you get from me. And if that's not a good fit, then I'm not your guy. You know, to say that in an interview, um, some people think is stupid. And actually, they didn't hire me. So maybe it was stupid. <laughs> but, uh, no, but, but I think if you had gotten into, in, into that, you would have discovered that your gut instincts were right and that it wouldn't have met some of the other criteria. You might not have enjoyed the process or you know, something else bad could have happened. Pretty instinctive of you because there were other signs and signals that, that I wasn't crazy about. So, yeah. I mean, everybody's got that, that opportunity that, you know, kind of got away that they wished they had done. You know, I, I still think that, uh, you know, you just kind of chalk that up. You know? No, you do. You yeah. do for sure. You, you know, and when, I, when I left that engagement, I was driving home and I thought to myself, this doesn't feel right. And I think I'm just going to call them up and say, look, I'm, I'm not your guy. You know, I really had the instinct to do that. And I discussed it with, with uh, some of my trusted advisors and they're like, that's a no brainer, you know, call them up and, and tell them, uh, tell them thanks, but no thanks. And, but, but I had a friend in the organization who for better, or for worse, I just wanted to, to help my friend in that organization. So I stuck with it. But anyway, so those are, those are criteria, you know, that's how we decide what we want to do these days. And, and even people younger in your career, I mean, you know, when you're younger and newer, you're, you're more hungry, you're trying to build a reputation and a list of clients, et cetera, but really establish those values. I would say establish those values and those criteria early in your career and stick to them. You will sleep better at night and ultimately you will deliver a better product regardless of what your what your product or service is all right bob we're going to take a quick break for capitalism it's ironic that we have an investment banker for the interview and we're both great capitalists and uh we're going to take a quick break for capitalism back in a minute at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? 
It's possible because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I am talking to my good friend, Bob Louthen. Bob is a CEO, investment banker with over 27 years of experience doing what he does. And uh, one of the things he's done throughout his entire adult life is lead. Lead himself, lead others, lead organizations, lead projects. And uh, so it's a great discussion for the Elevate Your Leadership podcast where we talk about all things leadership. Bob, besides investment banking, I know you're involved in other things. Uh, I mentioned uh, VetCrowd briefly, but in terms of, of leadership, can you talk about uh, you know, how you put Veteran Crowd together and what's going on there? You know, Veteran Crowd kind of happened. You know, it's one of those things, Bob, where you're working on one thing and then this other thing comes and kicks you in the shin. You know, Veteran Crowd kind of started out, I mean, the name Veteran Crowd evolved because we were uh, looking at crowdfunding opportunities as a mechanism. Uh, in 2012, the Jobs Act came on board and there was an opportunity to raise capital to use crowdfunding to actually sell securities. And, and that was the original concept. In the meantime, we, uh, through our marketing efforts, uh, met hundreds and then thousands of veterans and the businesses that they were leading. And it dawned on me one day that, gosh, they're all around us and they can't find each other. You know, when you get out of the military, you're not wearing the uniform anymore. You don't have these stripes on the sleeve and you know, there are business leaders everywhere. There are two and a half million veteran owned businesses in the United States. There's about 440,000 of them that have scale companies like iFly, you know, where you've got employees and, and, you know, real businesses and they're all around us. So I had this crazy idea to bring a friend of mine who had done some interesting things in the military. And we had a cocktail reception and I invited about 75 folks from the Richmond area that, that I knew were veterans, but you know, they hadn't quite figured it out yet. And we had this great reception and I literally could not get them to leave. It was the first <laughs> opportunity when, you know, they'd kind of been in a room and they would go up and go, well, you know, I never realized you served in the army or whatever, you know, as I tell people this, you know, I, I knew things were going really well when they were insulting each other, you know, well, I was the, just going to say, we uh, won't hold that against anybody if they served uh, in the army, you know, that's right. I mean, it was, it was, it got pretty brutal, you know, but everybody was having a good time, but then what were they doing? Right. They were building relationships based on a common background and all of a sudden they're doing business together and going, Bob, we've got to do more of this. Right. And so that became kind of, the foundation for what we're trying to do with this national network. Now, there's been a lot of fits and starts with this, Bob. What we're trying to do is to get people, you know, to connect veterans with each other and the resources to help them prosper, particularly in a business sense. To the extent that, you know, one veteran business can do commerce with another veteran business, I think it's a very attractive proposition. And, and that's become the umbrella for a, a lot of things that we're doing. Uh, you know, we've, we got some crazy ideas. I got to tell you, we're, we're doing something interesting right now, you know, is in the fintech space, which is kind of fun, you know, just all kinds of stuff. But Bob, where, where else would you want to work? Right. What other group of people in this country would you want to be around a lot? I'm very happy where I am. You know, yeah. I really enjoy meeting guys like you and Sean Matson and 
Trevor Maxwell and, you know, all these other guys from down in the Virginia beach area, yeah. but that, you know, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And it's just, it's been some of the most rewarding work of my career to have this niche, uh, you know, and to be able to participate in it. You know, as you're saying that, and of course you mentioned a bunch of names that I know, Sean Matson, Trevor Maxwell, uh, great people, great veterans who are really. Engaged. I'm leaving people out. They're going to feel like their noses are going to be out of joint. There's so many of them, but I apologize to those who yeah. didn't get mentioned. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll tag them in the social media or something. That's right. No, all, <laughs> all, all wonderful people in the veteran community, but, you know, but as you were saying that, I'm picturing in my mind some of the recent contacts that I've made veterans, army, uh, uh, army sergeant major, black female who served for 22 years, who just got out. And she, she says that she's a budding entrepreneur and she wants to start a business doing X, Y, Z, you know, and, and, and I just love whether it's her or some of the names you mentioned or some of the other folks, you know, people from special operations, my background. I just, I feel an instant connection. You know, this, this woman I'm talking about, I've never met before. I just saw her profile on LinkedIn where she said, you know, finally, after 22 years, I, I'm going to move on with this thing I've been thinking about for so long. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for, I don't even know her and I'm excited for her. So I, I've been there myself. And, you know, in the once when we're on active duty, uh, we've got this energy and this excitement and we want to do things, but, you know, you're kind of handcuffed in a way. It, it, it's not a bad thing. It's just that it's difficult to dedicate time and resource, resource and geographic stability to starting a business when you're on active duty, although some have done it successfully. So it is very exciting when you are making the transition and you go, finally, I get to do what this thing I've really been thinking about for a long time. And, and, and so it is a big deal. And it's incredible to have somebody like you out there as a resource and, and potentially a, a source of funding or general counsel, if you will, to really help people like that along. So kudos to you and what you're doing. And, and I still feel that excitement. You know, I'm always looking for I'm, the I'm excited now because I'm at the stage in my career where I can kind of be a mentor and a coach a lot. And, and I think that's a, that's a nat, that's a common thread in my life is, is kind of coaching is a, sure. as a thread, whether it was coaching football or uh, coaching business, you know, I just get an enormous amount of satisfaction. You know, especially when somebody comes back and says, hey, Bob, I haven't seen you in a whole bunch of years, but man, that thing you told me five years ago, I, I, it's stuck in my mind and I've used it. I've, I've maximized it. And thank you. Thank you for that advice. Thank you for that guidance. That little thing really makes it worth it. I, I, I had, uh, had a person approach me after I delivered a speech one time, and, and he actually stood up in the middle of the speech. And I, I never realized it, but, you know, I had put him on uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? You know, this book that, that, that you and I have talked about. Uh -huh. Yeah, because and, and advice at one time. And he stood up and said, you know, Bob once told me this, and, and I got this book, What Color Is Your Parachute? And it changed my life. And I'm going to tell you that right there, you know, that's what, that's what makes being a coach wonderful. It's not about anything more than that, you know, yeah. to help somebody else, man, that's just really good. I, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. To have that positive influence is incredible. Yeah. I, I wanted to come back to coaching as well because coaching, coaching in business, coaching in life, coaching in leadership. I happen to coach high school hockey. I, I think you were saying some, you know, military people, veterans tend to be more coachable, they're used to taking direction and taking guidance, being voluntold sometimes, you know, <laughs> here's how it's going to happen. 
But but because of that, because of, of that, because we're shaped that way early in our careers, we are open to things like that. And so being coachable, being teachable, being willing to learn is huge, not only for the individual on the receiving end, but for the person on the giving end, because the more coachable somebody is, the more willing we are to give. And that's my experience. And I'll, I'll take it back to coaching high school hockey. You know, I've got a wonderful squad of young men and one young lady on the team. And, and I've been with these kids for uh, a number of years now. And some of them are just so coachable and so receptive to improvement. Uh, and it's a pleasure to work with them, you know, and then there's one or two that are not that, you know, I give and give and give. And when I see what I'm giving isn't being received, it just makes me think, well, I'm going to give over here where it's well received versus giving over here where, you know, my, my time is not. Well you, you remind me of a quote I heard recently, you know, I think it was an Instagram post, but it basically said, you know, some people are investments and some people are bills. <laughs> and just think about that. But, you know, I know, you know, as a coach, I mean, you, I, I could tell when I coach football, which kids were going to do well and which weren't. And, and it was because that there were just some kids that they would just listen intently to what you did. And then they would go do their very best to execute the way that you were teaching them to do that. And I see this in business. And I've seen this in particular in cases where I had someone who had played athletics at a very high level, like in college. And I would see these young people and I was helping young people come out of VMI. They had these VMI athletes and they told me what they wanted to do. But the thing I noticed is how carefully they were listening to me. And then the, then one of them in particular, he wanted to get into the banking industry. He went and did exactly what I said. And he, and he was successful breaking in and it just connected for me, the dots, you know, that athlete who listens to their coach and goes and executes. Well, that's a life lesson right there. This same athlete did it in his business career. And I think that guy's doing very well now because he was so coachable, you know, yeah. he had that, that, that hunger to do it the right way to learn from someone who, you know, had some expertise. It was, it's, it's a very satisfying thing, coaching, and it can be in sports and it can be in business. For sure. It is a life's lesson. Uh, what very well said. So Bob, we're coming close to the end here. This is a great discussion though. I really, I really enjoy discussions uh, on this level. And again, for our listeners, regardless of where you are in your leadership journey, if you're uh, in your early twenties and just starting out, if you already own and operate your own business and you're growing, these things apply across the board, right? Lifelong leadership, lifelong learning. And that's essentially what this podcast is all about. Bob, have I left anything out? Is there anything you want to share with our listeners that we haven't got to? Thank you for having me on. If, if people would come take a look at veterancrowdnetwork.com and just check us out, we'd love to, you know, have you learn more about our story, Bob. It's, it's, it's been great to be on the program. Thank you so much. That's great. So once again, veterancrowd.com, V-E-T-E-R-A-N, crowd, all one word, veterancrowd.com. Take a look, especially if you're a veteran, and uh, I think you're going to find tremendous value. Bob Laufen, Thank you so much, and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, 
team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.